0: You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you once again. We have a lot to cover here today on the podcast. The busy week of Bills news continued yesterday. The Buffalo Bills signed quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. They extended Taiwan Jones at running back. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott met with the media and gave us some really good quotes to help us dig into some things and make some guesses about what could be coming next. I have a Zach Ertz update for you. And then we're going to close out the podcast by talking to Ross Jackson. He's the host of the Locked On Saints podcast. And I have some questions for him about Emmanuel Sanders and what he learned about Sanders last year in New Orleans. So a loaded Friday episode for you. Let's dig in. We'll start with the biggest story of the day, with that being the Buffalo Bills finding a new backup quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky has been signed to a one-year, $2.5 million deal. Let's stop right there. One-year, $2.5 million. That is a bargain for a backup quarterback to the level of a Mitchell Trubisky. You're seeing the likes of Tyrod Taylor and Andy Dalton and Jacoby Brissett and what these guys are getting on the open market. And Buffalo signed Trubisky for a quarter of what those guys are going for. Part of my concern with the Bills and their ability to find a legitimate upgrade at backup quarterback was the salary piece of it. I didn't know that the Bills would be able to find a guy like Trubisky for $2.5 million, but Brandon Bean pulled it off. So let's talk more about Trubisky, 26 years old. He turns 27 in August was the number two overall pick in the NFL draft in 2017 by the Chicago Bears. He was a starter there for four seasons. They went to the playoffs twice. In his 50 starts in Chicago, the Bears won 29 games, lost 21. He completed 64% of his passes, 64 touchdowns, 37 interceptions, and a passer rating of 87.2. Talking about his skill set a little bit here, he's 6'2", 215. He's very athletic. He has a good arm. He's good throwing on the move. He's mobile. And, um, you know, I think he's got a baseline level of traits that are interesting, and I think he's an above-average athlete with above-average arm talent. One-year starter at North Carolina. So that was the big question with him coming out of college you know How ready was this guy to become an NFL starter after only being a college starter for one year? And that talking point ties in nicely with some of our discussions in recent weeks about reps and college reps and how that should help us set the expectation for what young football players are going to realistically be able to do early in their NFL career. And Mitch Trubisky, another good case study, of that. So after one year of being a college starter at North Carolina, he became the Chicago Bears starter pretty early in his career. Came into a situation where John Fox was the head coach. And I think in the four seasons that Mitch Trubisky had in Chicago, they really struggled to find the right mix of players around him. Always had a couple of weak links on the offensive line. Never quite stabilized the running back situation. They kept investing in tight ends. Never really found a true answer. Allen Robinson's been phenomenal for them at wide receiver, but there hasn't been that number two or that number three. So I'm not making excuses for Mitch Trubisky. He did not have a successful tenure with the Chicago Bears. There's a reason that after four seasons as a starter, having been the number two overall pick, that he was available on the open market, and the Bills were able to sign him to a one-year, $2.5 million deal. I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend like he was overly successful, but it probably wasn't nearly as bad as Twitter wants you to think it was. And there are some important dynamics to consider about his run with the Bears, starting with him being a one-year starter coming out of college. Then having the coaching switch, and then again, not really having the right mix of talent around him. So overall, things didn't go as planned in Chicago, but he is talented, and I think he is a massive, and I mean massive, upgrade for the Bills at backup quarterback. It feels like for two years on this podcast, I have talked about my concern at backup quarterback. You've heard me. I've said the Bills roster is too good to be one snap away from Matt Barkley at quarterback. Too good of a team. Because I don't think Matt Barkley can come in and keep his head above water and lead the Bills to like a 500 record with Josh Allen on the sideline. I want to remind you of a talking point that I've already dug into in recent weeks. And that is the idea that if your starting quarterback goes down, you're screwed anyways. That assumes the worst case scenario. That assumes that the injury is season ending. And in most cases, quarterback injuries are not season ending. So it's nice to have a guy that can come in and play two, three, four, five games and preserve your chance when it comes to winning the division, having home playoff games, seedings within the playoffs, all of those things. So when your roster is as good as the Bills is and has been, you are gambling by not having an adequate backup quarterback. There have been plenty of examples in recent years where contenders needed a backup quarterback to start. The 2019 Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes went down, Matt Moore came in. In 2019 and 2020, the New Orleans Saints had several weeks without Drew Brees. The 2017 Eagles, remember that? Nick Foles came in for Carson Wentz. 2017 Vikings with Case Keenum. Heck, if backup quarterbacks weren't important, then you would have never heard of Tom Brady, Kurt Warner, Tony Romo, Jeff Hostetler. Remember that guy? Or how about Frank Reich? How many times did the Bills need Frank Reich to come in and do something important without Jim Kelly all the time? Another note here that I think increases the need for teams to take backup quarterback seriously is that we're going into a season That is now 17 games. So the likelihood of your quarterback getting injured is now greater because there's more football games. And Josh Allen's playing style, let's face it, lends itself to getting hurt. How many times have you watched a Buffalo Bills game with Josh Allen as a starting quarterback, and there was a moment or two in that game where he took a hit and you held your breath, and you were hopeful that he got up and was able to play? the Raiders game. Remember when he got twisted up under Joey Bosa against the Chargers? Some of those hits against New England? Henry Anderson and him being a dirty player with the Jets? There's moment after moment where you're holding your breath and saying, gosh, Josh, please be okay. So you have a longer season, 17 games, and a quarterback that, because of the way he plays the game, Opens up the door for injuries. Good job by the Bills taking this backup quarterback thing seriously and landing Mitchell Trubisky because Matt Barkley ain't it. Josh Allen has graduated from needing a mentor, and the Bills had to get serious about having real depth at quarterback. Matt Barkley is simply too limited of a football player to keep the offense afloat. Physically, Trubisky can do a lot more of what Josh Allen can do. It's not a different playbook for Trubisky compared to going from Allen to Barkley. There are just certain things because of Matt Barkley's physical limitations that he can't do, and it limits your offense. I am not saying that Mitchell Trubisky is on the same level of physical talent as Josh Allen, but he's a hell of a lot closer than Barkley, and it keeps the playbook more open should Allen go down. And this is great for Mitch Trubisky. For this guy to come in and reshape his image, to come into this environment that made Josh Allen successful and allowed him to develop and turn the corner and become an elite NFL quarterback, to work with Brian Dable, who obviously has maximized Josh Allen and his talent, for Mitch to position himself for an opportunity in 2021. Hopefully we don't see Mitch play. Hopefully there is a preseason, so we do get some reps, right? But ideally we don't see Mitchell Trubisky play at all in 2021. But should Brian Dable leave for a head coaching job and Trubisky shows enough to Dable throughout the course of the year, he could go with Dable. And give Dable a guy that he can roll with at whatever new place he goes. And if that's the case, it sets the bills up very well to get a compensatory pick. So there's a lot of layers to this. Sean McDermott preaches, come to Buffalo and you can be the best version of yourself. That's what Mitch Trubisky needs to find right now, given the way things went in Chicago. And I'm sure Trubisky turned down bigger contracts with more opportunity from other teams. But the Bills' culture and what they have going on and their proven ability to develop quarterbacks has afforded them an opportunity like this, and that is exciting. There's no downside to this deal. None. None whatsoever. The Bills got better at backup quarterback, it didn't cost very much. It sets themselves up well, potentially for a compensatory pick. There's just no downside. So what does this mean for the quarterback room? Josh Allen's your starter. Trubisky is your QB, too. And then you figure it out with Davis Webb and Jake Fromm. Neither one of those guys has ever played in an NFL game, ever. Never thrown a pass. Jake Fromm, extremely limited. Jake Fromm hopes he can have the career Matt Barkley did. Davis Webb, third-round pick like in 2017. And I like Davis Webb. I I was willing for him to be the backup, if need be, more than Barkley or Fromm. I like Webb. I hope that Webb is back on the practice squad. But you have to like the way this room has come together. Allen, Trubisky, Webb, Fromm. I don't ex- expect there to be any additions made beyond that. And the Bills can move forward and continue working with Josh Allen, develop somebody behind them, and that creates wonderful opportunities with no downside whatsoever. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL seasons are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the new scores and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The signing of Mitchell Trubisky was not the only move the Bills made on Thursday. They also re-signed running back Tywan Jones. As you know, he's running back by title only. He's really a special teams player and a very good one at that. Outstanding gunner on special teams. He covers kicks. He's four phases of special teams, and he means a lot to Heath Farwell and the special teams units. Also, when it comes to Tywan Jones... He's regarded as a high football character guy that brings leadership to the locker room, and that's never a bad thing. Obviously, the Bills are comfortable with Jones. Been on the team for a while now, right? Like he's he's been around, and um, he brings value. There, there's something that they like about this guy, and he certainly had one heck of a career in the NFL as a running back that really doesn't play running back. He's that good on special teams, and I'm glad that he is back. Now, I will say one thing about him being back. When you look at the construction of the running back room, you have Tywan Jones, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary. Those guys you would think are going to be active on game days because Tywan Jones is going to dress for special teams. So unless you make a significant move at running back. This is your active running backs, Moss, Singletary, and and Jones. Whatever other running back is on the active roster is going to be inactive on game day, just like TJ Yeldon. So I'm not sure if it's going to be Antonio Williams, Christian Wade, if they use a draft pick on a running back at some point, but unless a significant investment is made, they go after a Philip Lindsey in free agency, or they draft a running back early. I think you have your exact trio of running backs that will be active on game days. So I thought it was interesting with him being back. It really helped us gain perspective on what investments we can expect at the position. Let's do a little Zach Ertz update. I reported some information to you on yesterday's podcast that as the day on Thursday progressed, Proved to be true. I said that the Chargers and the Bills were in on Zach Ertz. They were the leaders in the clubhouse. And the holdup at this point was Howie Roseman, the general manager of the Eagles, playing hardball and having a bit too high of a valuation for what it should take to get Ertz in a trade. So Roseman spoke to the media on Thursday And regarding Zach Ertz, he said, quote, for us to trade any player, it's got to make sense for both sides. None of us had the year we wanted to have last year, but that doesn't define us. We know who he is on and off the field, and we value that. Translation, we're not getting the offers we want for Ertz. So you have this dynamic where we know the bills and chargers are in, And it doesn't sound like they like what is being offered. Shortly after that quote came out, the Chargers signed tight end Jared Cook to a one-year $6 million deal. So naturally, you would think the Bills are the only ones left in this equation. I wouldn't sleep on the Indianapolis Colts, but what this signals to me is that Brandon Bean needs to stay patient. There is no need to give up more than what you're comfortable giving up. The Eagles really kind of need to move on from Ertz. And Howie Roseman is a bad general manager. He will cave. So just wait it out. And at the end of the day, if you don't get Zach Ertz, oh well. Oh well. He's a tight end on the wrong side of 30. He's had some injury issues lately. And he's a veteran, savvy, know how, cerebral type player, knows how to attack space, create leverage against man coverage, catch the football, get tackled, right? He's a very much a possession style tight end. I understand that he can bring a consistency and stabilize the position a little bit, give them a really quality veteran in the room that fits the culture. He's probably going to be great for Dawson Knox. But there's no reason to panic and give up more than you have to for Zach Ertz and also commit to him a contract extension, which would only make sense if you were to bring him in. So, Brandon Bean, stay patient. If you want Ertz, stay patient. How he's going to cave. He's a bad GM. Also, speaking of Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, they met with the media on Thursday afternoon. And I thought there was some notable things that they said during that session that I want to dig into here quickly on the podcast. On Emmanuel Sanders, Sean McDermott said something that made me smile. He said, you never want to lose your fastball in terms of what we were able to do last season. I appreciated that quote so much. I've been preaching for months on this podcast. The Bills are a wide receiver-centric offense. Josh Allen throwing the football to wide receivers is what made it successful last year. It's why the Bills scored a franchise record 501 points. It's why they were number two in the NFL in scoring and yards. The best offense the Buffalo Bills ever put on the field was because of Josh Allen and wide receivers. I understand why they moved on from John Brown. The cap savings were real. His injury concerns were real. But they needed to replace him, and they went out and got Emmanuel Sanders because they understand what fuels this offense. And I really, really appreciate it. On tight ends, Brandon Bean said he has big expectations for Dawson Knox and said Tommy Sweeney is excited about joining back in after his issues with uh, the COVID-related heart condition. So it's good to hear, just like we heard about Star Latule, that he's going to be back. Tommy Sweeney is expected to be back, which is good news. Number one, for his health and that he's going to be able to continue his playing career. But number two, as a developmental tight end two, tight end three type player that can come in and bring youth. To the position, and um, you know he's got baseline backup traits, and he's cheap, so that's good news on on all fronts there when it comes to Tommy Sweeney on running the football. Thought Bean and McDermott had some pretty straightforward stuff to say here. Bean said, "We believe we have the pieces to run the ball better." Sean McDermott said, "We can run the ball with the people we have." I don't know if they're blowing smoke. I don't know if you take these comments and combine it with what Brandon Bean said during his year-end press conference, and he affirmed that he believed in Zach Moss and Devin Singletary and said it wouldn't be fair to put the blame on them for the ineffective run game that the Bills had last year. And at the end of the day, the big master plan is for them to draft a running back at 30, and they didn't want to tip their hand. I'm not sure if that's the case, but it sure sounds like the Bills are pretty content with what they have in terms of running back and blocking to get the run game going. The last thing I want to mention from the press conference is Brandon Bean's comments about CB2. He said, we are very content with Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace. So (laughs) there you go. I know many of us were hopeful that the Bills would bring in Malcolm Butler or Adoree Jackson or make an early investment in the draft on a talented young cornerback to groom and develop to be the answer opposite of Trey White but it sure sounded like Brandon Bean was pleased with his combination of Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson again i'm not sure if that's a smokescreen or what you know we we never know exactly how much you should care about comments like this but he certainly had a lot of confidence when talking about Jackson and Wallace as his options opposite of Trey White. So we'll see on that one. We've been telling you about Bilt Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on every single bar. Now it's time to find out which Bilt Bar is the best. It is Bilt Bar Madness. And they're having a tournament with all the flavors of Built Bar, and it's up to you to vote and decide which one is the best. Go to BiltBar.com or find Bilt Bar on Twitter to vote for your choice. And remember, use the promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. That is LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order at BiltBar.com. Joe Marino of Locked On Bills, joined now by Ross Jackson, the outstanding host of the Locked On Saints podcast, He's also the NFL Channel Coordinator for the Locked On Podcast Network, and he's going to talk Emmanuel Sanders with us. And, Ross, as you think about Emmanuel Sanders in New Orleans, I know he wasn't there very long, but it was his most recent team, and we're talking about late stage of his career, Emmanuel Mm -hmm. Sanders. And so when you think about the contract that he signed last April and the player he was on the field, how do you think he fared? Did he meet expectations?
0: Yeah, man. Uh, First of all, thanks for letting me jump on with you. Shout out to Bill's Mafia. I absolutely love Bill's Mafia, so I'm glad to be here speaking to everybody. Um, Yeah, I, I think the thing that was really interesting was that when Emmanuel Sanders signed with the New Orleans Saints, a lot of people were very excited about, oh, now all of a sudden you have this guy that can threaten deep because they saw him run like those really nice post routes in Denver, even had a little bit of that available to him in San Francisco as well, but that wasn't really what he was asked to do in New Orleans. So it ended up being that with Michael Thomas out, for most of the season or at least hobbled for most of the season right dealing with the high ankle sprain what you saw from Emmanuel Sanders was a guy that yeah he could push to be a three level threat he still had that but For the most part, he was an underneath intermediate type of a possession receiver. And especially he was really useful when Drew Brees was out, right? So you saw him become not a number one receiver, right? Like that X receiver was always going to be Michael Thomas or whoever was filling in for him. But what you saw from his sort of Z flanker role was a role of a guy that could be reliable. And that, I think, became one of the most important parts, his ability to be able to improvise with a mobile quarterback like Taysom Hill and like Josh Allen is as well a guy that can extend plays he fits really well in that mold as somebody that can exist you know as a three-level threat but also isn't limited to just what he can do downfield he does a lot close to the line of scrimmage and bailing quarterbacks out of trouble
1: you know whether it was drew Brees, obviously the last year of his career and and a declining Mm -hmm. arm you know the ability to really push the ball down the field wasn't there right um What did you see from him on the vertical side of things? Because obviously we're thinking Josh Allen, big time Mm -hmm. arm. Does he have the juice to get behind the secondary still? Or um, is that maybe not in his wheelhouse anymore? I think he still has it. I don't
0: think you're going to see him break off, you know, two or three of those every game or anything like that, but he still has it within his route tree and still has it within his uh what's available in the tank for him to be able to run those shot plays a few times throughout throughout a game. You can still put that on his resume. Uh he probably wouldn't be the one, you know, I wouldn't really put him up to maybe the John Brown status in terms of right. the speed and everything that he had available to him, but he's crafty enough, he's shifty enough and he's he he works really well particularly out of uh, out of stem breaks and, and coming out of uh, the, the vertical route set there to where you could still see him, you know, uh, winning on post routes, winning on fly routes, things like that. One of the highlight plays for the Saints this past season came from him because in the Kansas City Chiefs game, he and Drew Brees just on the same page. Uh, Kansas City just wasn't set well uh, over on his side of the field. So they just did a quick snap and then got down the field for a big 50 plus yard pass. He still has that very much in his wheelhouse, and they continue to run him on shot plays when Taysom Hill was in as well. Taysom Hill, not as strong an arm as Josh Allen, though. So a lot of those passes came a little bit short, a little bit under for him. Won't be an issue for him in Buffalo. So, you know, you can still absolutely program him into running those, but, you know, can still utilize him in that short and intermediate area as well.
1: So when you think in totality, Emmanuel Sanders 2020 version of him, you know, kind of your only year covering him mm-hmm. as a saint, what is the one thing that stood out to you the most?
0: I I liked his charge on the field. It's a little bit more of an intangible thing as opposed to like the route set and everything, you know, the route combinations and skill set and things like that. I mean, obviously, he has a very expansive route tree and he runs those routes really well. He's a bit of a technician in that area, but I really like the energy that he brought to this team and the leadership. It was tough for this team to really figure out how to navigate without Drew Brees and with a not 100% Uh, Michael Thomas. And so Emmanuel Sanders ended up becoming kind of the elder statesman for that offense for a little bit and being the leader of that offense. And that was something that I really appreciated about him. He brings a lot of attention to detail, a lot of film focus for some of the younger guys around him as well, in terms of getting the preparatory work done before walking out on the field on Sunday, Monday, Thursday, whenever it is that they're playing. And so that was something I think really benefited the young guys around him just
1: as well. So not only do you handle lockdown Saints, you're the NFL channel coordinator, and that means you have your fingers on all of the NFL. You understand what's going across the league, you know, all 32 teams. And so when you take Emmanuel Sanders and you think about him being in this Buffalo offense, mm-hmm. how do you see him fitting? And what do you think that Bill's Mafia's expectations should be for him in 2021?
0: Yeah, I think you can look for him to be your kind of middling usual wide receiver two in production. He's not going to challenge Stephon Diggs. I think he's a great compliment to Stephon Diggs because you'll be able to continue to use Stefan Diggs at all three levels, but maybe you can dial the role for Emmanuel Sanders back to a little bit of more of a possession, you're looking for him 10 yards down the field type of a receiver, as opposed to trying to rely on him still being a deep threat, and then utilizing him in that role every now and then, kind of like the way that Ted Ginn Jr. was toward the end of his career when he left New Orleans. And if I remember correctly, went to Chicago, I think was the next place that we saw him. And so, you know, his role changed along with his age. I think you could see that same thing for Emmanuel Sanders. But one of the more valuable pieces that he's going to bring is really just going to be that sort of veteran savvy, the way that he's able to deal with younger corners opposite him and the way that he's able to make up for, you know, some of the anything that might go wrong over on the offensive side and help his quarterback out.
1: He's Ross Jackson, the host of the Lockdown Saints podcast, the NFL channel coordinator for the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson N-O-L-A. And, Ross, the Bills and Saints have a date this coming season, so we'll talk again uh, at least that week to uh, get us ready for that matchup.
0: Absolutely, brother. Looking forward to it. And then we'll do it again in February. How about that?
1: So <laughs> That sounds real good to me. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today here on the podcast, this week here on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. I certainly did. I love roster construction, so watching the Bills make moves and all the rest of the teams in the NFL make moves is uh, really fun for me to dig into and talk about, and it helps us gauge where teams view themselves in their life cycle. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. So I hope you've enjoyed this week on the podcast. Who knows what's coming next week? There could be more moves that we need to talk about. Something big could happen over the weekend. Who knows? But we'll talk about it here on the podcast. And of course, continue delivering an episode for you every day, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed. Don't miss anything. As always, I kindly ask that you rate, review, share the podcast. Have a great weekend. And I look forward to catching up with you again. On Monday.